God, we know you want to speak to us and you want to be revealed and known and loved and worshiped. And you want us to be fully alive in you. And we pray now for your word in the scripture and your word as it comes from my mouth, that it would be alive by your Holy Spirit for us today. Amen. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, listen to God's word to you. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that, had, that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Very, very different responses, very, very different experience of Jesus' birth. So we have Herod, and how is he described when he hears the news of this newborn king? He's frightened. He's frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And he's, another word for frightened is that he feels threatened as king. And so we see uh, Herod and his response, and what we don't read in this story is that what Herod does eventually is what? When he finds out when the Christ child was born, he basically is furious that the wise men left without coming back to tell him. He figures out the exact time And all the boy babies, two years old and younger, in and around Bethlehem, were put to death. That's Herod's response. And the fear that filled Jerusalem. What about the Magi, the wise ones that come from far away, Persia? What is their response? It could not be more opposite. They are so excited. And this phrase, once they see that the star has stopped right over where the Christ child is, they rejoiced with exceeding joy as another translation, which means they were doubled up, doubled over in joy. When's the last time you were doubled over in joy? 
They are so filled with joy, and they bring all of who they are and their treasure chests, and they bow down and they worship him. It's an amazing contrast. Matthew sets it up on purpose, this really, really stark contrast. So as we are here listening to the word today and wondering, okay, what's the message for us? We can come to the conclusion that, of course, we're supposed to be like the Magi, and we are supposed to bow down and worship Jesus Christ and give him our lives and our treasures, and we are not supposed to be like Herod, frightened, threatened, murderous, and resistant. But it's not that easy. It's more complicated than that. We want black and white, don't we? If only it was all just black and white. But it's not. Because Matthew is writing to Jews. That's where this gospel is directed. And here he is showing a Jewish response. They've been praying for a Messiah, and the Jewish response is off track because it's not just Herod. It's the whole city that's frightened. It's the whole city that feels threatened by this announcement of a newborn king. And so here you have the chosen people of God praying for a Messiah who are off track. And then you have these magi that are coming from far away and they are experts and scholars in astronomy in the stars. Why? Because they were Gentile pagans who prayed to the stars. And that's the very thing that the Jewish people wanted to steer clear of and worship the maker of the stars. So here you have Gentile pagans who are off track, and yet they're the ones that are coming and are bowing down and filled with joy to worship Jesus Christ. So it's like Matthew is pointing out that we have this mixture inside of us. We all have this mixture inside of us. We have all been given, planted inside of us, the image of God, this longing for God, this longing for what is true, and yet we also have within us this deep resistance, being small, clamped down, closed to what is true. King Herod, by the way, was not always a bad guy. He had been a king for 40 years, and he actually did many, many good things. He was the first one to bring order out of disorder in Palestine, to bring peace. He was a builder. He built the temple in Jerusalem. Huge. He was one who was known to be generous in times of crisis. So he didn't start out bad. But then he got more and more jealous and threatened by other people that had power. So much so, and so suspicious, insanely suspicious, he murdered his wife, he murdered his wife's mother, and he murdered three of his sons. But he didn't start out like that. So there's this mixture inside even Herod, the bad guy in this story. There's no 100% bad, is there? There's no 100% good. Of course, we're very familiar with the figure in the Star Wars series, Darth Vader. And Darth Vader uh, didn't start out as the personification of the evil empire. He actually started out as a Jedi Knight with Obi-Wan and Yoda and all those who were following the way of the Force. And then it was only later that he turned to the dark side. But at the end of the series, in a very, very poignant exchange, when Luke Skywalker, 
they're having that battle at the end. And he calls Darth Vader by his Jedi name. He calls him Anakin Skywalker. And Darth Vader is angry and says, that name no longer has any meaning for me. But Luke continues. This is, remember, Darth Vader is his father. Luke is his son. And he says, he says to him, he says, it is the name of your true self. You have just forgotten it. I know that there is still good in you and that the emperor has not taken that from you fully. It is the name of your true self. You have forgotten it. I know that there's still goodness in you. Is there still goodness in Darth Vader? Yeah, you get to the end of the series, and yeah, there is still goodness there. We have within us this mixture, this image of God that is open to the largeness of who God is in the world and in us, and we also have this smallness, this resistance, this shrinking down that's not open to the new. I like the way Richard Rohr talks about that in his book. It's called Immortal Diamond. Richard Rohr is uh, becoming one of my favorite sources of wisdom. He's a Catholic priest, and he's done a lot of writing, and uh, this is his second book, and it was given to me for my birthday. And he talks about this wrestling inside of us using the terms true self and false self. And he talks about the false self as that part of us that actually is not bad. It's not bad. But when we're first growing up in life, we have those parts of us that help us establish our separate identity, our body image, our sexual identity, our successes, our education, kind of the stuff that helps distinguish us from everybody else. And he says that's kind of our launching pad. That's like our warm-up act. But when we get stuck on any one of those things, our education or our particular culture or, or our stuff and our successes and our education, we can become so enamored with that part of us, which doesn't last, that we kind of lose the whole of us. And that is our false self. So it's, think about it as, you know, who I need to be to look good in the world. That is the false self. So it's not a bad part of me, but when it gains too much importance, especially that part of me that is fading away, then it can get in the way and make me resistant to the larger work that God is doing. I, think, I love cartoons, and especially the cartoon strip. It's uh, called Bizarro, and I, I have a lot of these on my cupboards because <laughs> he cracks me up. But this one cartoon has this husband... Um, standing and leaning on the door jamb of the bathroom, and he's watching his wife, who's going through this whole regimen of, you know, all these creams. She's got her hair pulled back, and she's got all these products in front of her on the counter, and she's putting something on her face. And he says to her, he says, if all of the youth and rejuvenation treatments you buy worked as well as they claim, you'd have the head of an infant. <laughs> <laughs> You think about all the money we invest in product, all the money we invest in our hair, in our clothes, in Spanx, 
in cosmetic surgery. A lot of money. A lot of money in just a part of us. A small ego part of who we are. The incomplete part that changes daily and is passing away. Richard Rohr writes this. When you are able to move beyond your false self, these ego parts of you, it will feel like freedom and liberation. When you are connected to the whole, capital W, you no longer need to protect or defend the mere part. You are now connected to something inexhaustible. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to restore us to our true selves so that we're not trapped, stuck, addicted to that mere part of ourselves. And through his death and resurrection has liberated us to bring us to that place of freedom and joy that we see in the Magi. Free to move out. Not protecting their country, their place, their, their angle on the world. But they are moving out to worship the king of the Jews for Pete's sake. They're free. And they're full of joy. Free to be their true selves. So your true self, Richard Rohr says, is who you are in God and who God is in you. You're part of the immortal diamond. And this is the phrase I love the best about describing the true self. Your true self is a deep security in a larger love. Isn't that a great description? A deep security in a larger love. That's what makes us free, makes us full of joy. I promise you that the discovery of your true self will feel like a thousand pounds of weight have fallen from your back. You will no longer have to build, protect, or promote any idealized self-image. Living in the true self is quite simply a much happier existence, even though we never live there a full 24 hours a day. And he talks about how important it is to move beyond that false self into your true self. And then he talks about the people that do it. It's not necessarily chronological as we grow up. There are people who are older in life that are still clamped down. Look at Herod. Clamped down on one small part of who he is. That successful person in power just clamped down to that false self. So there are older people who never move into their true selves. And there are younger people who move into their true selves earlier. And he said, interestingly enough, some spiritually precocious children, usually those with a disability of some type, see through the false self rather early. Now, isn't that interesting? You know, I got to say, when I read this, and I was talking with Beth yesterday, I thought of Robbie. Robbie is the only one that's dancing during worship. Well, what's up with that? Robbie, you know where Robbie likes to hang out? He likes to hang out at the Elms. He goes to the Elms and hangs out with these wonderful members of our community who live in this really expansive and wonderful senior housing. That's his favorite place to be. I think that's some of your best friends, huh? And you know what he did on his birthday? It wasn't about him. He had everybody bring gifts for what's called Nine Lives. It's a cat shelter. That's, Robbie, thank you. You're helping us be and know what it is to live into our true self, not our false self. Friends, that's resurrection. You know, we think of the Magi and we think of, you know, them coming 
here and bringing these amazing gifts, and we focus on the gift of myrrh. Why? Because it's used to anoint the dead. And so it's a precursor to the fact that Jesus is going to die. But I think what we need to focus on as we look at the Magi is resurrection. Because basically the Magi are modeling for us, they're this window for us of moving beyond their false self, their education, their scholarliness, their treasures, their wealth. They had to have a ton of wealth to come as far as they did with these treasure chests full. But they move beyond that and all those parts of who they are into their true self, into the largeness of their seeking. Not just their own stars, but this newborn king into the largeness of joy, this amazing experience of joy, in contrast to Herod's frightened, threatened, clamped down protectiveness, and the extravagance of their gifts, that they brought these treasure chests. And yeah, they gave three gifts, but they brought their whole treasure chest and laid that there as well. They show us resurrection, and this is the message of this passage. Jesus brings resurrection from our small, frightened, false selves to our free, joyous, true selves. That is the good news. There is the joy. I don't know if you've seen the movie Philomena, but this is a spoiler alert. I'm going to talk about it a little bit here because there is in this movie the same kind of contrast true self, false self, that you see going on in this passage with the Magi and with Herod. Philomena is a woman who grew up in the 1900s in a very Catholic Ireland, and she became pregnant as a teenager, and her father was so ashamed that she was taken to the convent, and that's what they did, and she lived in the convent. She gave birth in the convent, she raised her child for a few years in the convent, which a lot of teen moms did there. But against her wishes, the baby was given away, sold, actually, to a couple in the United States. There's a book written about it called The Lost Child of Philomena Lee. And the contrast you see in this movie is between a very hardened nun who has become so shrunk by her own sacrifice, by her own moralism, that she becomes something that I'm sure she never expected to become, nor the convent, which is small and hateful, resentful, and even destructive. But here you have this Catholic woman, Philomena, who does not hate in return. She doesn't hate God. She doesn't hate the people who did this to her. And to the consternation of the journalist who's writing her story, she does not live in anger and bitterness. True self, false self, in the church, in the church, among the people of God. I think Matthew wrote this so that we would see this story and as readers would hear this story and think, oh my gosh, it's the people of God that are acting like that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be stuck and trapped in just this mere part of who I am. I don't want to be frightened and threatened. 
I don't want to be closed down. I don't want to be hateful and bitter. And you think about all the ways that we can be with those parts of ourselves that we treasure, with our education and what we know, and how we can look at all other people who don't necessarily agree with our enlightenment. Or we can look at our own attachment to our identity in our work or in our successes, in our accomplishments, in our jobs, in our careers, in our stuff, in our money, in what we have. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be small. I don't want to be that false self that is so addicted to just a mere part of who I am that I am not open to God in me and me in God and the largeness of a God who holds the Magi in Persia, who worship the stars, and holds people all over the world, the people we hate, the people that have been mean to us, but I can open up and I can come and I can be large in God and God in me. That's our true self. That's why Jesus came. It set us free from our frightened and threatened false self to be our very large and joyous and free and dancing true self in God. Joy to the world. The ones experiencing joy are the Magi, not Herod, not Jerusalem. They're all afraid and they're all threatened. There is joy in being set free to be our true selves, but this is one quote I want to leave you with. And by the way, if any of you are interested in doing a book discussion with me on this book, let me know, because I'm going to read it and discuss it with anybody that wants to the last Sunday of January. But here's one line I want to leave with you. He writes, Richard Rohr, the true self and its resurrection are always a threat. Are always a threat. Let's pray. Oh God, we don't want to live in fear. We don't want to live small. We don't want to live trapped and addicted to just a part of who we are, that which is fading away. Open us up, O oh God, to a deeper consciousness, to a deeper awareness, to a deeper openness to the healing and the resurrection that you bring in your death and resurrection, to restore us to our true selves. This is our prayer. For each one of us, for your people, your church, for this church, for your world. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.